Our gospel lesson for today, the first Sunday in the season of Lent, comes from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hand they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. How many of you have heard the old saying, there's two sides to every coin? Like four people. Okay, please put your hands up, otherwise this all falls apart. Okay, you've all heard it. It's a good expression, isn't it? There's two sides to every coin. Now, like all of those old sayings, sometimes they sound a little cheesy, don't they? There's two sides to every coin. Things are good now. Oh, well, it's going to get worse. Well, things are lousy now, but hey, there's two sides to every coin. It's going to get better. I don't know. Maybe it's weird. Maybe it's just part of our language that we say these things. I, I don't really know, but there is a token of truth to it. I mean, think about a coin. It's flat. There's literally two sides. And it's all the same coin. One side is different than the other side. They're distinct. And if you don't believe me, just ask the referee at the beginning right before kickoff. That coin flip is important, right? I was thinking about that idea of one thing having distinctions, having two distinctions, as I thought about Jesus. Now, maybe this is weird. Don't conflate Jesus with a coin, but... But I'm thinking about this because in our faith, in our, the gospel, whatever we want to call it, we profess the truth that Jesus is 100% human and is also 100% God, 100% divine. Now, you've heard me say I'm a math nerd, and when you add 100% and 100%, that, that doesn't compute. But Jesus is all of both at the same time. Now, me personally, I tend to think of the divinity of Jesus. I think that's what is more prominent for me. So many of the different stories that we have are evidence of Jesus being God, of his Godness showing through the human who is walking among us. But I don't know if I often think the other way around. 
I mean, we profess that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is God in human form. But do we really think about Jesus being human? I mean, do we really think about that? Or do we just think, well, he's human who can do amazing things because he is divine? I, I don't know. Maybe, again, maybe I'm the only person that really thinks about this. But, but that was something that I was really aware of today or in preparation for today as we were thinking about this story. Now, today is the first Sunday in the season of Lent. And every single year, every year, year after year after year, on this first Sunday of Lent, we always have this story of the temptation of Jesus. Now, the timing of where the story falls in the gospel and where we are in the church here, it's, it's kind of funny. You know, we're actually in Lent. We're starting to look forward to Holy Week. We're aware of of the depth of brokenness of the world and what Jesus will endure uh, during Holy Week when he's betrayed and when he's arrested and when he's killed, but then the glorious resurrection on Easter. We're moving towards that, and here in the church here, we're getting really close to it. But the temptation of Jesus happens at the beginning. It's kind of weird. Jesus comes on the scene, he's baptized, and then immediately he goes out in the wilderness where he's tempted for 40 days. Now, I think the humanity of Jesus is on display here, and I think it needs to be. And we see that with where things start. You know, we've got the three temptations. Jesus has been out there for 40 days. The guy's been fasting for 40 days. Now, you guys know I like food. It's 10, 15. What time is it? I can't read. It's, I don't know, it's morning. I'm hungry. Anybody else already hungry? Okay. Jesus went 40 days without eating. Dude was a machine. That's all I know. But we hear he's famished, and rightly so. His human need is very much on display. And then here comes Satan, or the devil, or the tempter. You know, we got all three different names for, for the one who shows up. And Jesus is tempted. And the first one, the first thing we hear is the devil appealing to that human nature. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Eat, then we'll talk more. But it doesn't work. Jesus says, it is written, you should not leave, eat by, who can't talk. You should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the, the mouth of God. <sighs> Devil sits there, scratches his head a little bit. Well, that didn't work. Okay, what else can we try? What else can we try? Oh, well, this guy thinks he's the son of God. Let's, let's appeal to his, to his pride, to his vanity, maybe, and takes him up on a high mountain. And he says, I want, you to, I want you to jump down because it's written in the scriptures that if you do, God will command angels and you will float. Probably didn't actually do that, but that doesn't work either. And what's interesting about this, these two temptations, the devil makes the same thing. If you are the son of God, and it really seems to be, if you are who you say you are, prove it. Now, there's also the third temptation that we hear about of showing him all the, the nations of the world. And I can give all this to you if you will only take your worship away from God and worship me. So that's in there too. But what really catches my attention is this identity of Jesus that the devil is using against him. If you're the son of God, prove it. Now, here's where the humanity of Jesus is important and why I think this story is important for all of us. 
We heard two different scripture lessons today, one of which I think made a little more sense than the other one, as Nancy told us. In Genesis, we hear about the fall. We hear about how humanity, from the get-go, they've got it good. They've got this great garden. All they have to do is not eat that one fruit, and it takes them approximately 47 seconds, and they mess that up. And as we heard, and this was the part of Romans, sin entered humanity through that moment. Adam dropped the ball. That's all we're going to say. Darn it, Adam and Eve, you did too. Bummer. But in the human, in the nature of humanity, we see this inherent brokenness. We see this inherent inability to follow, I don't know, follow rules. Maybe we want to call it that. Maybe it's the selfish nature because that's how they're tempted. You will be like God. Don't be content with what God says about you. Be like God. Isn't that ultimately what I think we all fall to at one time or another? Not only just our selfish natures, but we forget the truth of what God says about us. What God says about every single one of us is you are my beloved child. God names us. God claims us, whether through the waters of baptism or God simply saying, you're part of humanity and I love you. But we don't always believe it. Or we forget it. Or we want to be more. I think that's at the root of this temptation that Jesus experienced, that Jesus overcame. Now, I started this whole thing off talking about Jesus being fully human. And I think Jesus had to be fully human in order to somehow overcome the brokenness that's a part of the human reality. I don't understand how it works. I really don't. But it gives me hope to know that he did it. And that he experienced this world. He experienced life. He experienced temptation. He experienced the good stuff. And he experienced the hard stuff. And somehow, the one who is all the, the, the man who is also God and the God who is also man overcame all of that. How many of us have those human moments when we think about the moment we just had, or the thing we just said, or the thing we just did, and we think that wasn't real smart? I want to see every stinking hand. We all have those times, those human moments. And human moments can be really good, and human moments can also be really dumb. Now, this is not throwing shade at the human race. This is just being real about the human race. Because we all have our failings. We all have the the times when we don't measure up, the times when we just fall short. And it feels like I messed up. I'm not good enough. I can't pull this off. I'm going to be honest and vulnerable with you for just a second. I slept like very, very badly last night. And any of you can probably attest that when we sleep badly, when we're not rested, our brains don't work real well, do they? Uh, maybe it's apparent I kind of feel like I am all over the map today and not really saying anything coherent. Hopefully you're actually understanding something. I don't feel like I'm saying anything. But it's also those times when we're more prone to cause harm, when we're more 
prone to cause damage in the relationship, sometimes in the relationships that we have with ourselves, sometimes in the relationships that we have with one another, and oftentimes in the relationship that we have with God. How many of you have been short on sleep and you snapped at somebody and you immediately regretted it? Every hand, good audience participation. Good, you're honest, I like it. (sighs) To be human is to know we're not perfect. And the longer I think every single one of us lives, the more we realize that, right? Wisdom comes with age and it comes with experience. But God doesn't look at us and say, you have to be perfect before I'm going to love you. God looks at this world. God looks at humanity. God looks at all of this and says, I already love you. I know you're not perfect. It's okay. I love you anyway. And so Jesus somehow, some way, overcame temptation. The fully human Jesus somehow overcame the brokenness that we cannot and did it on our behalf. Now, here's the other part of Romans that, yes, was confusing. Thanks, Adam and Eve. You ate that fruit and messed it all up for all of us. But through Jesus, somehow, eternity is still given to us. And the love of God is still present for us. I don't know if I can say it any better than that, even when my brain is working. Praise be to God that God loves us so much to say, you are mine, Nothing stands in the way. You're going to mess it up. I love you anyway. Jesus has you covered. Amber, I see you nodded. Are we at amen? You all think amen? Amen. 